You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. And a good word that is. You can go ahead and have a seat there where you are. And uh, go ahead and grab your Bible and turn to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. And while you're doing that, a couple things. One is if you are a first-time visitor, thank you so much for being here. It's such a privilege to be able to worship Jesus with you this morning, and we're just praying that the living God would interact with your soul in ways that would be helpful and refreshing today. And if you'll do one thing for us, there's a black card in the seat back in front of you. If you'll just make sure you grab one of those black cards that says connect on it, fill that card out during the service, and then at the end of the service, you can either put that in the offering basket, or even better, you can uh, go to the connect desk, which is just right on the other side of that wall right there, right in the middle of the foyer and hand that card to the guys at the Connect Desk, and they will exchange that for a gift. And so we would just love to be able to catch your name and all that. So if you would do that, that would be so, so great. We would absolutely love to be able to serve you going forward. And then if there's any way we can be praying for anyone in the room, you can grab one of those green cards in the seat back in front of you, fill that out, put that in the offering basket, and that would put you on our uh, kind of ongoing prayer list. And we would just find it to be such a joy to be able to intercede for you and to pray for you. So if you want to do that, drop it in the offering basket. That would be great as well. And while you're turning to Mark chapter 9, let me tell you about one thing coming up in February. On Feb- this is Saturday, February 23rd. Uh, we have just a one-day sort of conference training event called How to Be a Healthy Person. And it's like, who in the room couldn't sign up for that and not believe, like, I probably need to become healthier as a human being? We all need that. And we're bringing in a friend of mine. His name is Jim Cofield. A couple of years ago when I uh, went on a sabbatical, Jim was kind of my sabbatical coach and counselor. So I spent a ton of time with Jim uh, that summer and have kind of kept up with him. Laura and I have kept up with him over the last couple of years. We meet with him consistently and Um, I think he's going to be such a help to us. And so I just want to encourage you to to put that on your calendar. You can go to stonegate.church upcoming events and register for that. Um, That's February 23rd. That's Saturday from about 830 to one o'clock. So I just want to encourage you. You should do that. Set a reminder on your phone for later this afternoon. Go register for that and be a part of that one day sort of equipping event that we're going to have on February the 23rd. Okay, so... uh, Mark chapter 9 is where you need to be. And uh, just to preface this, we have finally, after um, years now, figured out our January rhythm. Like, what what are we going to do as a church family, kind of preaching-wise, to the month of January? And for the last several years, we have uh, known that the middle two Sundays in January, we are giving to two issues that surround uh, the Sanctity of Life Sunday, um, which is typically like the third Sunday of January, and Martin Luther King Jr. Day, which is typically the third Monday in uh, January. So we take those middle two Sundays, and we give those to the two issues of the gospel and race and the gospel and life. So we know that those two are kind of in our sort of yearly liturgy in January. We're going to do that. And we finally landed on the bookends of January, the first and the last Sunday of January. And so on those two Sundays, we're going to do your life and the Bible, which is what we did a couple of weeks ago. Um, If you were here the first Sunday in January, we uh, covered the Bible, 2019, and us being a people who are feasting on Jesus in the scriptures. And then the last Sunday of January, uh, which is today, and this is kind of be a normal rhythm for us, we're going to talk about your life and prayer, um, because we want to be a church family who prays. Like, we want to be a praying church family. So today, we're going to dig into and dive into this issue of prayer. I, I'm coming today with this assumption Um, And I think it holds true uh, for for people who are following Jesus and who love Jesus. I think virtually every Christian um, has a desire and a want to pray more often and more effectively. 
I think that lives in the heart of most Christians. And so, you know, anytime I, it lives in me. Like anytime I hear a sermon on prayer, um, I'm convicted. Um, anytime I hear a sermon on prayer, I am aware of how deep my need is to become more like Jesus in all of life, especially in the praying life of Jesus. Right? I, I'm just aware of that. I, I've never listened to a sermon on prayer and thought, you know what, I'm just killing that. Let's get to the next thing. I've never felt that. Every time I hear a sermon on prayer, I, I, I end that moment lamenting my lack, my, my prayerlessness, just lamenting that, um, repenting, like wanting and desiring more of that in me. I, I just, every time I end the, these sort of sermons or hear these sorts of sermons, uh, it, it, it produces those sorts of feelings in me. And I think those are good and right feelings because prayer is really important. Prayer, especially private prayer, is the single greatest litmus test of genuine faith. Like, am I for real or not? Private prayer is one of the best ways and best things for you to look at to to make that determination. J.I. Packer is right when he says this. This will be up on the screen for you. He says, I believe that prayer is the measure of a man, that the measure of a woman spiritually now just sailor on that, think on that. Like just allow the Spirit of God to like work that statement into you. I believe that prayer is the measure of a man or, or a woman spiritually in a way that nothing else is. So that how we pray is as important a question as we can ever face. I, I want to just encourage you to, to look up at the screen and just read that statement a couple of times. Just there where you are to, to read that. Prayer is the measure of a man spiritually. It's one way we can discern what we really believe, not confessionally, but but practically, what we really believe about God, about life, about our own selves. Prayer is is also deeply connected to our spiritual vibrancy. You're never going to meet a person who has a lot of spiritual vibrancy who is not excelling in prayer. Those two things go hand in hand. Uh, One of my friends said it this way. He said, prayer is not an option for the spiritual elite. Prayer is oxygen for exhausted sinners. If you came in the room this morning sort of exhausted, frustrated, fatigued, tired, prayer is God's gift to you. It is oxygen for exhausted sinners. Your prayer life, or prayer is as important to your spiritual life as breathing is to your physical life. I just take a deep breath in and held deeply and breathe out. As important as that breath is to your physical life, so is prayer to your spiritual life, which means neglecting prayer is spiritual suicide for a Christian. It is, it is the equivalent of going without spiritual breath. You just don't last very long when you do that. You die when you don't do that, Right? neglect of prayer is spiritual suicide. So today, wouldn't it be just a means of grace and a kindness from the Lord for for God to awaken in us a desire and a yearning for prayer? Wouldn't that be a kindness of God if today God did that for you, for us? If if today God would take this this morning and and us thinking through this particular issue, and and if God would take this feeble thing that we're doing right now and use it to do that great thing in us, a yearning for prayer, to become men and women of prayer. So in light of that, I want to think about three questions in regards to prayer. What is it? 
Why is it important and how can we become more effective at it? What is it? Why is it important and how can we grow in it? How can we become more effective in it? So first, what is prayer? What is prayer? I am a huge fan of catechisms. Catechisms are simple questions and answers that help you learn theology. So that throughout the church history, uh, pastors and churches have used them. Um, The one we encourage all of our people to grab is the New City Catechism. You can download the app. Um, You can go over to the resource uh, kind of station over here and you can pick up a a little booklet that has the New City Catechism all printed for you. But, But especially if you have kids in your home, you should have the New City Catechism to help teach them questions. There's 52 questions that it goes through, one per week for the year. And question 38 of the New City Catechism is this. What is prayer? What is prayer? And here is its answer. Prayer is pouring out our hearts to God. Prayer is pouring out our hearts to God. Now, I, I love that definition, that description of prayer. What, what is prayer? It's taking our hearts and it's pouring our hearts out before God. Now, that exposes that so often what passes as prayer is actually not prayer. Right? What so often passes as prayer it is not. If prayer is pouring out our hearts to God, then prayer is something different than us just saying some words and, and considering that prayer. Right? It's, it's pouring out our hearts to God. Uh, Paul Miller, when he's talking about prayer in his book, A Praying Life, he says it this way. Prayer is the real you meeting the real God. That's what prayer is. The real you meeting the real God. Contrast the real you with the, the, the you that you often present to the world. That you is um, put together. It's thought through, right? It, it's in a lot of ways a false view of you that you're presenting to the world. But, but prayer is the real you, right? It's the messy you, the emotionally unstable you, the prone to stray you. It, it's that, that, that you that, that feels unpresentable. Like if people do that, oh no, it's that you. It's the you that just had that thought pass through your mind that you would die if other people knew. It's that you being poured out before the real God, the the real you meeting the real God. It's us pouring out our hearts to God. Now, if that is what prayer is, I think it would be good just to start with this question. How often do I actually pray? How often do I pray? What so often passes as prayers is, is really just saying prayers, And there is a big difference between saying prayers and honest praying. And God isn't so interested in us just saying some prayers. God is actually interested and loves praying, though, us pouring out our hearts to God. Uh, Years ago, I read a biography of Charles Spurgeon. He's uh, one of the, the best preachers in church history. He's just a uniquely gifted guy in church history to be able to take the Bible and to preach it. But in the biography, there there was one uh, just kind of thought and and paragraph that grabbed me. And that thought was the biographer saying that as great as he was at preaching, he was actually a better prayer. And he went on to talk a a little about... um, the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, you know, he's not impressed by uh, heaping up all these empty phrases and flowery phrases. Like God just is not impressed by us saying prayers. And he went on to say that for a lot of people, it wasn't until they prayed with Charles Spurgeon that they actually realized what they were doing was just saying prayers. That they were just mumbling some words. They, they weren't taking the real them and giving that to the real Jesus. They weren't pouring out their heart to God. And may God help us see these things today, right? 
Like we don't want to be people just saying prayers to God. We want to be people praying, and may God give us eyes for that. This is what prayer is. It is pouring out our hearts to God. That's, that's what is prayer. Now, for, for why is prayer important? Why is prayer important? There are so many things the Bible um, gives to answer that question. But I want to take you to Mark chapter 9, and I want you to see what Jesus says in this passage about the importance of prayer. Why is prayer important? Uh, Jesus has an answer here in Mark 9 that I want you to pay attention to. So here's the context of Mark chapter 9. You start the uh, chapter, and Jesus is up with uh, Peter, James, and John, his inner circle. They are up on a mountain, and they are having a mountaintop experience. It is an incredible moment. You can read about it in the first 13 verses. The other nine disciples are not up on the mountain. They are down in with people. They are ministering. They are trying to, to work with people just in the throes of ministry uh, down from the mountain. And so after uh, Peter, James, and John, and Jesus have this huge moment, they walk down and they find the rest of the disciples. And that's where you pick it up in verse 14. And when they came to the disciples in Mark 9, uh, when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And then you get to verse 16. And he asked them, what are you arguing about? So something had produced an argument between the nine disciples who were doing some ministry and the crowd around them. So Jesus asked, what, what are you arguing about? Verse 17. And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I ask your disciples to cast it out, and you might underline this phrase, and these four words, they were not able, that they were not able. Now, ironically, in chapter six, Jesus gives them authority over demons and things like this, and they actually got about the work of doing it in chapter six. It's going well until they hit this moment, and they run into something they can't do. Uh, it goes on. Jesus responds by saying this in verse 19. And Jesus answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and water to destroy him. And then listen to what the dad says. But if you can do anything, Jesus, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus responds to the, to the dad and says, if you can, did you, did you just say if I can? Is this really a matter of if, Jesus is saying? And, and Jesus goes on to say, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Every time you ever encounter doubt in your Christian life, there's your passage. God, I believe, but help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. So think about what's happened now. Uh, the disciples have been doing work like this, but all of a sudden, Jesus comes and he does something the disciples can't do. So that instantly puts the elephant in the room. How'd that happen? 
Why couldn't we do it? And why could you do it? Like, what, what's going on here? They instantly put that elephant in the room. So as soon as the disciples got Jesus by himself, they go for it. They start to ask the question, and you see that in verse 28. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? What is the problem here, Jesus? We were doing it, but we can't do it, and you just came and you did it. Why is that? What is going on in this moment? Now think about, if you don't know verse 29, don't read ahead, if you don't know that verse, what might you fill in the blank there? You might say, well, here's the reason. Um, there's a theological problem. We've got to get your, your kind of theological X's and O's uh, worked out. You, you might say, well, maybe there's a moral problem. Maybe, maybe the disciples had some sort of like secret sin going on in their life. You might say, you know what I think the disciples really need? I think one more year of seminary and man, they'd be all about it. They would be killing it, right? And, and Jesus is saying to all those things, no, that is not the issue. That is not what's going on here. In verse 29, we see Jesus's answer. And Jesus said to them, this kind, you might underline those two words, this kind, that this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This kind cannot, that there's no other options. This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So, so think about the scene. The disciples have the dirt of ministry under their fingernails. And in this particular moment, they are attempting to free a man's son from oppression of sin and evil, right? I mean, for crying out loud, they are trying to cast out a demon. This is no small thing, right? And when Jesus comes and identifies their problem, when he diagnoses the problem in this moment, what is the problem? Here's the problem Jesus diagnoses. He's looking at his disciples and he tells them essentially this, you're attempting great things, but ironically, you're attempting them without God's power. That's the problem. Uh, you're trying to do things only God can do. And this is so ironic. You're just trying to do them without God. He's looking at the disciples and he's, and he's telling them, you're depending upon human ingenuity rather than supernatural power. This is the problem in this moment. You think you've got the wisdom, you've got the might, you've got everything you need to do it, but in truth, you actually need God and you're forsaking the very thing you need. Now, take this passage in a lot of ways as a metaphor for our lives. So, so Jesus says, this kind, th this kind cannot be driven out by anything but, but prayer. Now, this kind in this passage is casting out a demon, right? That, that's the kind of thing that he's talking about here. But more broadly, this kind of thing refers to every kind of evil and brokenness that's beyond human help. That is, that, that is introducing in us into the category of this kind. It's everything that we confront in this, in this world, every evil, every brokenness that is beyond human help. And, and can we just admit it for a minute? We can manage, we can manage with human ingenuity. People do great things with human ingenuity all the time. They build things, they do things, they solve things. People do all kinds of great things with human ingenuity. And we can manage with human ingenuity up to a point. Uh, up to a point. But, but then God, just like he does for the disciples here, brings in a kind of thing. And when God brings in this kind of thing, it strips human ingenuity of its helpfulness. 
When God brings in this kind of thing, it, it exposes our perceived power and wisdom and might, and we actually begin to see our own power and wisdom and might for what it actually is, nothing. That's what this kind of thing does to us. You know the moment as a parent when you're watching your kid destroy their lives and you have tried listening, you have tried preaching, you have tried punishing, you have tried to tighten up the boundaries, you have tried everything that is parentally possible and nothing works. That's a kind. Uh, You know uh, the moment where you're in this relationship and the relationship is so broken that every attempt to put it back together has a way of just breaking it more. Like even when you go and you are owning your sin and you are repenting, even your repentance gets used against you. I mean, the relationship just feels irreparable, unfixable. The riddle is just too complex to solve. That's a kind. You know the person you should forgive, but you just can't do it. You've done everything you know to do. You have thought it out. You have talked it out. You have tried to counsel it out. You have done everything you know to do, but the root of bitterness has sunk so deep into your heart that a human hand cannot pull it out. That, that's a kind. You know that addiction? You've set up covenant eyes. You have 94 layers of accountability. You, you have talked about it. You have done everything you know to do, but you keep, find, you keep finding that your heart just... I mean, it's like a gravitational pull. It just keeps, keeps wandering back to the same screens, looking at the same things. That, that's a kind. How about our nation? You know our nation? Isn't it crazy? And you know what's crazy? Is if, if you were the person who had all the, the keys in your hands to try to fix it, you know what you would likely do? Break it even more. Th- that's a kind. And just like in these passages, these kinds of things are brought into our lives by a good dad, by a good God. And here's what he is doing when he introduces these kinds of things into our life. He is showing us the limits of of human ingenuity. He is showing us the limits of our wisdom, our power, our might, our ability to solve riddles and figure out life. He's showing us the, the, the nothingness of that. These these kinds of things are introduced into our lives by God to reduce us, to, to strip us so that all we have left, the only thing we have left is the weakness of prayer. And when that happens, when the only thing we have left is the weakness of prayer, it's in that very moment God looks at us and says, finally, now we can actually get about doing something. But, it, but it's not until we feel, the, we feel stripped of everything to the point where all we have left is weakness. But when you find yourself there realizing that, that human ingenuity is of no help, that, that, that your power is actually powerless, that, that, that all forms of like human help that you've received has just left you more helpless. When, when you find yourself there where, where all you have left is a pleading heart being poured out to God now, Not until then, but, but, but now when you find yourself there, now the supernatural power of God is ready to break through. Why is prayer important? Here's Jesus' answer in this passage. This is the reason prayer is important. 
Because we all need, not just sort of need, but like need, need, like desperately need, like your next breath you need. We all need the power of God to break through in this broken world. That, that's why we need prayer. It's because human ingenuity can't do it. Your power can't do it. Your wisdom can't do it. Your might can't do it. Only God can. And that's why we need prayer. Ray Ortland says it this way. Where redemption is most needed, we are most powerless. You ever felt that in your life? Up against a, a kind of thing that you actually begin to feel this, that where redemption is most needed, we are most powerless. He goes on to say that this kind of evil, we're really, the, the kind of evil we're really up against, this kind, like that kind that shows you human ingenuity is of no help. The kind of evil we're really up against is stronger than preaching. It's stronger than community. It's stronger than everything. It's stronger than everything except the weakness of prayer. It's stronger than everything but, but something that weak, that the weakness of prayer. And he goes on to, to say this. He says, we think prayer enhances our abilities. This is the way we naturally think. Man, I'm going to pray it up. And then I'm going to go flex. I'm going to go show some wisdom. I'm going to go do this thing. And I'm going to kill that thing. This is how we naturally think. We think that prayer enhances our abilities. But he goes on to say, this is not the right way to think. We think that prayer enhances our abilities, but some evils are so resistant that prayer must replace our abilities. And this is what Jesus is teaching the disciples and us. He's teaching us why prayer is so important why prayer work is our most important work and here's the reason because prayer replaces our abilities you know how good our abilities are not very you know what they accomplish nothing Pr prayer replaces our abilities our abilities that cannot help prayer replaces our abilities with god's abilities that the, the very abilities that can help this is what prayer does it is it is it is replacing all of our ineptitude with the power of God. This is why prayer is important. Until we get weak enough to pray, until we get all the way down to our knees, until we get so weak that all we have left is prayer, then here's what we're left with. Until we get that weak, what we're left with believing human ingenuity can do it. We're left believing in the nothingness of human ingenuity. We're left with believing that nothing is actually something until we get weak enough to, to pray. And to, until we get weak enough to believe that our human ingenuity matters none, it's not until we get there that we'll actually begin to pray. See, prayer is an expression of our weakness. Prayer is an expression of our dependence upon God. When we're aware of our weakness, we pray. When we're confident in our capacities, we don't. Maybe I could ask it this way to you. Do you believe John 15, 5? I mean, it's just like a really straightforward verse. And I think it's good for us to, to reckon with it. Do we believe it? Not just confessionally, but functionally. Do we believe this? When Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. Now listen to this last phrase. For apart from me, you can do nothing. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now just think about your life. Do, do you believe that? L look at your life right now. Do, do you, is there evidence that you believe that? 
that I really believe when Jesus says, apart from him, I can do nothing. Do do I believe that? And and here is the, the best test that you can apply to your life to see if you believe it. Are you a praying person? Are you a man or woman of prayer? That's the litmus test. Because when we believe it, we then pray. When we don't believe it, we don't pray. See, prayer is is saying to God, we can't, but you can. That is what you're doing when you pray. You're you're admitting, apart from me, apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. See, this is why, um, you know, it's it's funny. It's funny when when we're encountered with with a moment of like, how are we doing with prayer? Okay, I wanna pray better, I wanna pray more effectively. We have this natural sort of tendency to think like this. Well, okay, if I'm gonna do that, you know what I really need in my life? I need more discipline. I need to set the alarm for 5.30 and I need to get up and do it. Then I need to set another alarm at some point in the day, I need to do it then. I need to get some discipline and get some habits in my life and then I'm gonna be a a better prayer. And Paul Miller in A Praying Life says, that's not true. What we need is not discipline. He says, you don't need self-discipline to pray continuously. All you need is to be poor in spirit. All you need is to know you need. All you need is to know you can't and God can. That's what we need. I want to just take a a moment here to address those who you walked in with a limp this morning. Um, You walked in like uh, me, like my wife Laura this morning, and you you are just so staring in the face of th- that kind of thing that human ingenuity is of no help for. You're staring into the sort of thing, you're living next to the sort of thing where human help is helpless, where, where human power is powerless, where human wisdom just stops working. And I, I want to I just, I want to remind you today that if that's you, that is not evidence of God's inattention of your life. That's, that's not evidence that God has abandoned you and has stopped listening to you. That is God loving us, if that's you this morning. It, it is God introducing a kind of thing into our life to strip us from the deadly illusion that all we need to make the world work is our power, our wisdom, and our might. It's God getting us to the end of us. It's God stripping us down. It's God reducing us so that all we have left is the weakness of prayer. If that's you this morning, this is what God's doing in you. And it's painful. It's painful for us right now. It hurts it's frustrating, it's disappointing, it's, it's all of those things, but this is what God is doing. He's getting us to the end of us so that we can actually get to the power of God in our lives. And if that's you this morning, you came in and it, it's just a miracle that you made it, then may God refresh in you with this today. May God encourage you. Man, I just want to look at you and as one of your pastors say, don't lose hope in that. Don't lose heart God is right there with you, with this kind of thing, ready to help. Walking beside you in it. And if all you have left is a pleading heart that's just being poured out to God, Jesus is looking at you this morning and he is loving you and praising the fact that that's where we are. This is why prayer is important. 
because we all need the power of God to break through in this broken world. And I wanna finish by talking about how we can pray more effectively. I think that most of us in the room want to pray more effectively. We wanna pray better, we wanna pray more. So so how can we do that? And and let me just preface, the important thing is not that you have um, this exact list that I'm gonna give you. It's not that you have these exact things that I'm about to say. But I think it is important that you have a list. You, You do have some sense of like, man, here are some steps I can take. So I just want to encourage you by giving you um, several to consider. How can we take steps? Where can we start in in just a growing prayer life? I don't think there's anything more important than the first thing. Um, This is the foundational issue. This This is where it begins. The first thing we need to do if we want to grow in our prayer life is to repent of self reliance, to just renounce self reliance. Like this is where it starts to repent of that. that repent of this way of seeing the world that says, I've actually got what I need to make it work. God, I'll let you know if I run into a problem. No, it's to renounce that way of seeing and feeling and thinking. That, that disposition uh, that, that we have toward the world is to repent of that. See, if we are recognizing we have a problem with prayerlessness, the problem is not prayerlessness. The, the problem is self-reliance. So if we're going to to solve the prayerlessness problem, but by God's grace, we have to repent of what's at the root of it. That that self-reliant spirit that's down there saying, human ingenuity, especially mine, is gonna be everything I need. No, no, it's not. And if we're believing that, may God give us a kind of thing that will help us see that will not work. Human ingenuity will take you so far, you can manage so far, and then it's worthless. It's of no value. It's, it's nothing for, for you. So we need to repent of self-reliance. Secondly, the first one is, sounds very spiritual because it's a very spiritual moment. The second one totally sounds non-spiritual. But if we're going to grow in our prayer life, we need to do something as non-spiritual as scheduling it. Like putting it down in our calendar. Like when are we going to pray? So there's two general ways that you can pray. One is you might think of as like casual conversation with God. It is spontaneous praying. It is throughout the day sort of praying. There's casual conversation and then there is concentrated conversation. That is dedicated, devoted time saying to God, I want to spend an extended amount of time praying to you. We need both in our Christian life. Right? In any healthy relationship, you need both of those two things. But here's the thing. In your life with God, casual conversation grows out of concentrated conversation. If you don't have concentrated conversation, you can almost chalk it up as 100% sure bet you don't have very good casual conversation. So casual conversation is situated within the framework of concentrated conversation. And the only way you will ever have extended amounts of times with God in prayer is to schedule it. And if prayer is this important, I think it demands some calendar space to to show up in the list of things that we're saying are important in our life. So we need to schedule it. You need to think through just some helpful, like, Things to think about in your schedule, mornings and evenings. Those are the two prime moments for you to think about. How would I schedule in praying? And I'll just maybe encourage you with this. One of the things that Laura and I are doing in 2019 is we're trying to create a new habit of every night before we go to bed, we spend concentrated time with one another with Jesus. We're just going to pray together to our good God who loves us. 
We're just going to do that, every, just trying to create a habit every night of doing that sort of thing. But, but we have to schedule it. We have to think about our lives and figure out how are we going to do that. So we repent of self-reliance. We schedule it. Uh, a third thing that I think is, is helpful is just to say this. Start asking God. I just, just start asking God for the things you need in your life. In the next chapter, it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's about this guy named Blind Bartimaeus. Um, so he's blind, and Jesus walks by blind Bartimaeus, and uh, he, Bartimaeus just goes nuts. He's like, I've got to get to Jesus for help. And so he, he comes to Jesus, hollers at Jesus, gets his attention. Jesus looks back at Bartimaeus and says, ask this question. What do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus, what, what do you want me to do for you? How, how can I help you? Now, can you take a moment and just in your mind's eye, can you imagine the all-powerful God of the universe sitting in front of you asking you that question? Today, what would you like for me to do for you? What, what do you need today? Now hear this. If you're a son or daughter of God in the room, that is the very question God is asking you today. He has positioned himself in front of you and he is looking at you saying, what, do you, what, what can I do for you today? What, what do you need today? What, what do you want me to do for you today? He, he's just, he's imploring us to ask, to, to ask. Paul Miller, again, in Praying Life, he says, if, if you want to condense down the entire teaching of Jesus down into one word on prayer, so everything Jesus taught on prayer, let's just condense it down in a one-word summary. The, the one-word summary is ask, ask. Just, just start asking and ask a lot. Keep asking. So I, I think some of our biggest problems in prayer are not because we are asking wrongly, not because we are asking too much, but just that we're not asking at all. Have you ever asked yourself the question, I wonder how much I'm going without in life just because I'm not asking? Just because I'm not asking. And if you're not a good asker, let the story of blind Bartimaeus encourage you. So this is how the story ends. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus looks back at him and says, Rabbi, I, I want to see. That's what I want. I want to be able to see. I want my eyes to work. And the next verse says, immediately he recovered his sight and he followed Jesus on the way. Bartimaeus asked for a miracle and then he experienced a miracle. That's what happened to blind Bartimaeus. And I just wonder how many times God is saying, would you please ask so then you can then experience it? And let me just remind everybody in the room, if you're a son or daughter of God, just let me remind you of what kind of God that we're asking. We're asking a God who is all-powerful. He's an all-powerful dad who can. He's got the power to give good gifts to his kids. But we're also asking a generous dad who loves to give good gifts to his kid. That's the God that we're asking. And God is just looking at us, standing in front of us, saying, would you please ask Ask and keep asking. Start asking. Uh, fourth, keep it connected to Scripture. Keep your praying connected to Scripture. We as a church want to be a church who enjoys Jesus. We want that. For everyone in our church family, we want to be people enjoying Jesus. And, and Jesus' enjoyment, th think about Jesus' enjoyment, it sits on two load-bearing beams. So, so in our heart, it is hoisted up, and it sits on these two load-bearing beams. And here are the two beams that, that Jesus' enjoyment rests on. Bible reading, 
That's one way we feast on Jesus, Bible reading. And then the second load-bearing beam is Bible praying, taking that same Bible we just read and praying that Bible. It's on one hand Bible reading, on the other hand Bible praying. This is how we feast on Jesus continually. There's no two habits more important in a Christian's life than those two, Bible reading and Bible praying. This is one of the things I love about um, the community Bible reading journal that we have out at the resource, uh, kind of the store over here. It, It gives our Bible reading plan at the front of it, and then it gives you journal entries, and every journal entry is framed around prayer. It has you fill in from what you just read. How can you adore God? How can you confess your sin in light of what you just read? How can you ask God in light of what you just read? How can you thank God in light of what you just read? It's helping connect these two things together, Bible reading and Bible praying, and it's in doing those two things that we actually enjoy our living God. Keep your praying connected to Scripture. And fifthly, pray with people. Pray with people. Make it a habit to pray with people. Um, several years ago, I called a pastor friend of mine, and we were trying to have lunch together, and so I called him, and I'm like, man, let's grab lunch. Are you free on this day? And he said, look at his calendar, and he said, uh, uh, man, I'd love to do it that day, but I can't. I'm meeting with a friend of mine to pray for lunch that day. And I'm like, pray with a, f- a friend that, maybe I ought to do something like that every now and then. I mean, maybe I should like figure out on my schedule how to get friends and like us pray together. Maybe that would be a good idea. And, and when he said that, it reminded me of reading David Brainerd's biography. And uh, David Brainerd would often gather with other uh, friends, people who are following Jesus, and pray with them. And I want you to listen. I'm going to read a couple of his journal entries, and I want you to listen to the fruit of doing that. Listen to how he describes it. September 10th, 1742. In the morning, or in the afternoon, I prayed with a dear friend privately and had the presence of God with us. Our souls united together to reach after a blessed immortality. I'm praying with people and here comes the presence of God and it put in us just a longing for what we will be one day. December 23rd, 1742. I rode to New Haven and there enjoyed some sweetness in prayer and conversation with some dear Christian friends. My mind was sweetly serious and composed. I mean, he's just, he's just looking at his life And there's just a sobriety about it, a sweetness about it. That's the fruit of him getting around friends, pursuing Jesus, praying to their God. February 17th, 1743. In the evening, spent some time with a dear Christian friend and felt serious as on the brink of eternity. How many of us could use the Lord taking our life taking it right up to the brink of eternity and letting us peer over. How would that change our current life, the way we see the disposition we have in our life? He gathers with some friends. God takes them to the brink of eternity. He goes on to say, my soul enjoyed sweetness in lively apprehensions of standing before my glorious God. We prayed with a dear friend with sweetness and discourse with the utmost seriousness. And then listen to what he says. Talking about this, this moment of praying and thinking about the scriptures and praying the scriptures. He said, and truly it was a little emblem of heaven itself. Who could use a little emblem of heaven itself in their lives? 
That's what praying with friends that are all pursuing Jesus, reading the word, praying the word, reading the word, praying. That's the sort of thing that God offers us when we do that. And I wanna wanna end by just clarifying one loose sort of end. Prayer is a gospel-dependent venture. Prayer is dependent upon us trusting the Savior who lived for us, who died for us, and who rose for us. It's dependent upon us holding our life up to God and banking on Jesus as the means that we are brought into the family of God and are now sons and daughters of God, enjoying the privilege of praying to God, of access to God. This is the benefit of you being a son or daughter of God. You now have access to the ear of God. I love how John Calvin describes prayer. He says, prayer is climbing up into, the lap, or into our Father's lap, and then when we get up there into this lap, it's us whispering in his ear. That's what prayer is. And, and believing in your sonship, you are a son or daughter of God, is essential to the work of prayer. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine three or four years ago, and he was disappointed about the ministry that God had given him hadn't gone the way he wanted it to. He was frustrated by it. Longings that he had just weren't being fulfilled. Hopes that he had just, just disappointment. And in a moment of just honesty, he said, you know, if I'm honest, I think that God would answer, and he, and he named a pastor, well-known pastor. You, you'd probably recognize him if I said his name. He said, I, I honestly think God would answer his prayers days before he would answer mine. And then when he said that, I, I just... I so empathized with that. I mean, I felt that thing that, God, God, are you listening to me? It sounds like you're listening to them. It looks like you're listening. But God, are you hearing what I'm saying? God, are you, are you listening to these prayers? I, I, I am prone to believe that, that like, I, I, yeah, I'm in the family of God. God, I know I'm one of your sons and daughters. I just think I'm like way down here on the list of concerns that you have. And see, part of what the good news of Jesus reminds us is there's no second-class sons in God's kingdom. There's none. John 17 says that when God thinks of you, his adopted son or daughter, his heart leaps for joy as if he were thinking about his beloved son, Jesus. When God looks at you, that's what he, that's what he sees. That's what happens to his heart. So there's no, there's no barely in in the kingdom of God. There is an all-in son and daughter of God, full access or nothing. So when we pray, we can know we have the privilege of crawling up into the lap of God. We have the privilege of whispering in his ear, knowing and believing that our God hears. That our God hears. Will you pray with me? I want to give you a moment to allow the helpful things to be pressed down and into you and for the Spirit of God to wipe away the things that aren't helpful this morning. And I'm so grateful that today we get to end by taking communion together. Because communion reminds us of the very gospel that we need if we're ever going to pray and pray well. 
It reminds us that Jesus' body was broken for us. That's the bread. It reminds us that Jesus' blood was spilled for us rebel sinners who had declared war against God, who hated God. His body was broken. His blood was spilled for us. Jesus, in our place, for our sin, condemned so that we could then be brought into the family of God and, and, and considered a child of God. Communion reminds us of these things. And when we take communion, we are, we are rehearsing the story that makes prayer possible. So, oh God, would you help us this morning? God, would you work in us this morning? God, would you take the good news of Jesus and press it down over every human heart in this room in the unique ways that we need? Oh God, would you do that? God, we, your needy people, we're saying we need you, God. And God, would you meet us in our need today? And it's in your good name that we ask that. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church. A podcast is never meant to replace gathering with your church to hear the preaching of the Bible. So we want to encourage you to be part of a local church family. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. and would love for you to join us as we enjoy Jesus together.